Powered by Righteous Media. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode eight of the Firefighters Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Sarah. It's been a couple of much-needed weeks off for me, and seems like a lot's gone on since the last time we spoke. So let's dive right in. Uh, this week was my birthday, and it's my 42nd birthday, um, which isn't really a milestone for most people, but for me, it is the age that my mother was when she passed away. And it's a birthday that has always been, you know, ahead of me and some, some sort of, I wouldn't say milestone, but it was, it was always, you know, a birthday that I dreaded reaching, um, you know, for many reasons. Um, so I'm here, 42, and I got to spend the day with my beautiful family and it was great, but that's not what we're here for, right? What everybody wants to talk about nowadays is the New York City vaccine mandate and how it's affecting my beloved FDNY. At first, I was a bit hesitant to even discuss this in the show. You know, it's a pretty hot button topic. Um, And to be honest, I'm not quite sure how I feel about everything that's going on. I think there's, there's a lot of blame to go around. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions going around, too. And, you know, both sides start trying to make the other look bad and we lose sight of, A, what's really happening and who we're really talking about, you know? We're talking about politicians and we're talking about firefighters. Two totally different human beings. They might both claim to serve, but in my experience, both politicians only serve themselves and their bank accounts. So we lose sight of that. You know, we all dig in, we all take our sides. So I'll give you my view and what I've gathered of what's going on. You know, I've heard recently a lot of high profile people uh, say things like they don't feel sorry for the firefighters. And, you know, they mention all the vaccines that they've gotten in their life, Um, you know, which is partially true. Right. We all got vaccines. We all had to be vaccinated to go to school, um, certainly to to join the fire department. Um, I know the fire department. Uh, also required that I get additional vaccines when I transferred to SOC because we were um, a hazmat company. So I believe hepatitis A and B are part of that. Um, You had to get up to date on your tetanus and all that stuff. However, I mean, I I understand that, but I also understand the point of view of, of where we're at with this vaccine, right? Because, you know, we're not talking about the polio vaccine here. This is more like a flu vaccine, right? Uh, it's not preventing you from getting coronavirus the same way the flu vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting the flu. Um, and we all know that, you know, I can get into the various levels of illness that you might feel if you don't have the vaccine as opposed to if you have it. However, we're not talking about the same type of vaccine is my point. It's not something that will stop you from getting a disease like polio, right? Because And it's also not going to stop you from spreading the disease, as I've experienced personally. When I got COVID, I passed it on to two of my children. 
um, and I'm fully vaccinated, quote unquote. So it does not stop you from spreading the disease. It doesn't stop you from getting the disease. So I can understand how it prevents you from, from, you know, maybe having to go to the hospital or even dying, you know. I mean, I can say the first time I had COVID was way worse uh, before I was vaccinated than it was the second time I got COVID. So was that the vaccine? I hope so. But, you know, from a personal point of view, I also know that I had a lot more to lose from not getting the vaccine um, because of my pre-existing conditions, right? Especially uh, my exposure to 9-11, my respiratory issues, um, my autoimmune issues. Um, so for me, it, it, it was a much easier decision. However, uh, for a lot of these people, it's not. And there are, from what I can tell, there are all different types of, of objections to the mandate. You know, there, there's, of course, there's the people who just won't do it, um, you know, whether they're uh, Trumpers or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, they just won't do it. And, and I don't think that number is, near, is nearly as high as people make it out to be. I think it, it, it's, you know, probably the same percentage as it is in the rest of society, right? So then, then you also have the people who just don't want to be told what to do, um, certainly by the government. You know, we're talking about a group of people that has been explicitly lied to by the government, and we're still going to funerals. Uh, you know, I, I talk about it all the time, but most people don't. That people are still dying from 9-11 um, weekly. Multiple people are dying a week uh, from 9-11 illnesses. So we're talking about a group of people that has already been lied to. So we're supposed to trust that in 20 years, now this is what I'm being told. We're, we're supposed to trust that in 20 years, you know, we're going to be fine. You know, when when 20 years after 9-11, when we were told we could operate there, we're finding out we're not fine, right? So I get that argument too, right? I can certainly relate to that argument. My mistrust of the government is well documented. And I do believe we should limit the outreach of the government. Uh, we, as a species, we've proven that we can't be trusted with power, right? To do the right thing. We can't. Uh, for whatever reason, we ultimately decide greed and selfishness over the greater good. However, you know, that's why I'm torn because if, as I said in, in previous episodes, if we can't trust in our, in our doctors and our scientists uh, and our most educated, uh, dedicated people, then, then what are we doing? You know, if, if, those, if we can't believe that those people are doing what they do for the greater good, then we really can't believe in anything, right? And I don't want to live that way. And I want to believe that, that if they're telling us that this vaccine is the right thing to do, that it is, you know? Um, that's where it differs from, from the lie that, that we were told in 9-11, right? Because that was just coming from politicians. Uh, the scientists certainly weren't saying that. They were chirping other things in the background, but they were being silenced. So it's a little different, right? Isn't it? Because these are all the, you know, most of the doctors and the scientists are saying this. Uh, so I got to believe them because just for my own mental health, I need to believe that those people are doing the right thing. Um, and I hope that they are. And that's why I'm torn here because I get the whole mandate thing, even though a lot of you out there might not, I get it. You know, especially where it's coming from. 
especially when the person handing down this mandate is Bill de Blasio. You know, I, I know a lot of people on all, all sides of the political spectrum in New York City, and none of them like Bill de Blasio. Uh, I don't know what it is uh, specifically. Uh, they all vary in their opinions, but nobody likes him. Nobody likes his message or the way he delivers it. Uh, I'm sure he has some supporters, right? He got reelected, but that's not saying much when, uh, you know, whatever it was, 20% of eligible voters, 20, 30%, whatever, actually showed up to vote. So what is that really saying? So, you know, I get it. You know, in the day he put down this mandate, he tweeted out uh, a tweet about abortion, um, which, okay, he's tweeting out about abortion rights, but then he puts, he adds a line in there that, a person's medical decisions are something private between them and their doctor. And that's a troll job. I'm sorry. On the same day that this mandate drops, you should not be tweeting out something like that. That's not what a leader does. If you really want to change uh, people's minds, then you can't put out a douchey tech uh, tweet that, that makes it seem like you're mocking them. How about you lead and, and tell them why it's the right thing to do instead of forcing them to do it? And that's been the problem the whole time. You know, they. They, they sent these people out in, at, in the heart of this pandemic with no PPE. And, and you know, they, they get one mask for a tour. And then, you know, they, they, they'd go back to the firehouse and they'd find out 20 people tested positive for COVID. Did they close the firehouse? No. They detailed, they detailed people in from other firehouses to work there. And bring, that, bring COVID back to their firehouse. So when you treated the people like this, you don't have the right to act like that. I'm sorry. You can't dunk. You can't, you can't uh, act like Mr. Cool with your f- stupid freaking Nets uniform on with your dress shirt looking like a clown. You can't do that. I'm sorry. It's disrespectful to these people that literally risk their lives. I, I know it's cliche, but these people can, can not come home. It, the, the chances of them going to a fire are very high in New York City right now. Right? And, you know, and... and and the risks that they take, and I'm not going to get into that. You know, obviously I'm getting fired up. So you can't mock that. I'm sorry. If you want to prove them wrong, then prove them wrong. Bring the evidence. You know, sit them down, which is, which is what should have happened. Not give them a nine-day mandate. You know, get the shot or get out. That's not right. Whether or not you agree with the shot, that's not the way you treat people. Right? Especially with the way you treated them for the last two years. Not give them the proper equipment. EMTs sleeping in their cars because they don't want to bring coronavirus home to their families in the four hours they had off between shifts. Please. You won't even give them a decent contract. So you don't get to, you don't get to swing it, uh, Bill de Blasio. You know, we, we, with your, your, your stupid Star Trek costume on Halloween the day before you drop in this mandate. You know, we don't need you to boldly go anywhere. We just need you to go. And I think that's the biggest problem here. The lack of respect for the other side, the lack of communication. You know, when I hear that that there are female members of, of the FDNY that don't want to get the vaccine because some other members experienced menstrual problems after getting it. I think, well, there's an opportunity. Why don't, why don't we get them all together? Why don't we sit and discuss this and bring some doctors? Why don't we try to help these members understand the, the, the risk versus the reward of the vaccine instead of just mandating it? 
because nobody likes to be told what to do, right? If you're a parent, do your kids like being told what to do? I know mine don't. There aren't enough adults in the room. Uh, everyone needs to chill out. Everyone needs to sit back and relax and, and realize that we're all in this together. Um, and let's figure it out. You know, uh, I, I think the foolishness, um, you know, the, the, especially in regards to the fire department. You know, I heard a story real quick. The other day, uh, during all this man, all these manpower issues because of the vaccine, um, the FDNY, you know, they detail com- members from from one company to another when they're short-staffed, right, to help balance out the manpower. So they took the chauffeur from one company, um, and if you don't know, the chauffeur is the driver, and you need extra training for that, and not everybody is one. right? So they took the chauffeur from one company, leaving them without one, which essentially makes them out of service because they can't respond. And sent them to another company that didn't have a chauffeur. The issue I have is that company only had two members riding on their rig. So now they're short-staffed. So now you took a fully-staffed company and sent the driver to another company, which made them half a company. So now you took two companies and made a half. When you could have just left him where he was, let him drive his members, and, and send those two members to a different firehouse. Right? That would make sense. So something's going on, you know, uh, and I know a, a big issue people, uh, some of the members have is with, with the money, right? They, this, this is a cash grab. This is, this is a scheme by Big Pharma to make money and to put money in the pockets of, of politicians. Is that true? I don't know. Um, would that surprise me? Absolutely not. Um, but like I said, um, we have to trust the smartest people in the room. Because that's that's really all the hope that we have. So, my opinion on this, <laughs> well, I wish everyone would just get the shot. Um, you know, if you have your reasons and they're legitimate, I understand. But I also understand that having COVID sucks. Um, and are there risks to this shot? Sure. You know, do we know what they are? I don't know. But how much other crap have we taken? Um, you know, the chemicals in in the wrappers of your hamburgers can build up and kill you too, right? Uh, so if this is what the smartest people are telling us to do, I think that's what we got to do. So I wish that this fight wasn't happening. Um, like I said, I wish both sides could sit sit down like adults and maybe you know start educating the members instead of instead of belittling them. You know, and that's a two-way street too. I get it, but I think that would help. So yeah, I, I I wish we could just cut the nonsense. Everyone can you know see a little clearly, put their red hat or their blue hat to the side, and you know put on their thinking cap. Uh, so that's it. That's all I'm gonna say on that. So with that, I'm gonna bring you this week's roll call which comes to us from the NAV. And it's not from a firefighter. It's from what we would call an outsider. Uh, but a lot of people would call him a great man, uh, the late Anthony Bourdain. Firefighters, my experience, are a lot like the Marines I've met over the years. No matter how badly led, ridiculously under-equipped, underappreciated, no matter how doomed their mission, they take as bizarre 
and quite beautiful pride in at least being screwed more than everybody else and doing it with style. They seem to do what they do for themselves. It's not a job. It's a calling. Amen, Mr. Bourdain. May you rest in peace. All right. So now it's, it's time to get to this week's guest. He's 89 years old. He's the last living member of the FDNY to respond to one of our most deadly and historic fires. He's got some other great stories, too. And we all need to hear him. And I'm glad he's still here to tell him. So here he is, firefighter Don Blaskovich. We're proud to have a new sponsor for the show, Rocky Boots. Since 1932, Rocky Boots has had a proud legacy building boots for the men and women who serve and protect our country. And in January, Rocky is introducing their fire boots. As with all Rocky Boots, these are high quality, comfortable, and built to last. Plus, these boots are NFPA certified. Located in an American small town, Rocky has volunteer firefighters in their company, and their focus is on footwear that's innovative and durable. Rocky is currently looking for firefighters to wear test their boots. If you're interested, reach out through any of Rocky Boots' social media channels, Facebook and Twitter, at Rocky Gear. And be sure to check out the great deals at RockyBoots.com. Rocky Boots, rugged innovation since 1932. With me this week, uh, we're very lucky to have Don Blaskovich, uh, retired from the FDNY, um, who got on in 1958, I believe. Um, and he's here to tell us about the fatal fire on Wooster Street um, of that same year, I believe, right? So, uh, everybody, here's Don. Don, welcome. Uh, hello. Uh, well, by way of introduction, I was born June the 9th, 1932, in Bellevue Hospital right here in Manhattan. And I, I took the fire department test in 1957 with my brother. And so, um, let's see, being 89 years old, my memory is somewhat tainted, but I'm going to do the best I could, okay? All right. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. I was appointed in 1957, and I lived on 7th Street, and sit between 2nd and 3rd Avenue at McSorley's Ale House. Everybody knows that. And that's the street I, I lived until my uncle took me away. My uncle. My uncle's my uncle. His name is Sam. You get it? Uncle Sam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Went four years in the Air Force. And, okay. And, okay. So let's get back onto the job. Uh, I was stationed. I was stationed in in uh, 13 engine at 155 Mercer Street. That's between Prince and Houston. And I used to be able to walk to work in 15 minutes because I lived with my mother at that time on 7th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. So I finished my tour. I would just jump in, into, into my clothes in 15 minutes my mother would have a nice hot meal for me. It's not like today. These guys, these guys are travel, having a two hours or more to, to get one way to get home. It's, yeah. a, it's a rough situation with the rent, with the rent business. Um, the biggest fire that I ever went to was in 1958. I was fourth class, fourth class fireman. 
and it was at Worcester Street, right, right around the corner from Mercer's, Mercer Street, where we, where we worked. It was a very cold night. It was about 10 degrees. It was freezing. And uh, it was very windy. And what happened is this. At that time in the fire department, on Broadway, there had to be a fireman posted in each theater. What our job was to check the exits, make sure nobody's smoking, make, make sure everything is nice and cold, uh, safe. And when the show was over, we would come back to the firehouse. And so at this time, uh, I was. it was uh, six o'clock. I, I, I reported for duty, changed my clothes to my working clothes. And at seven o'clock, I had to put on my uniform, my dress uniform to go to the shows. So I jumped in a subway and I was up there in, in, up there in uh, 49th Street and I did my duty. And at the end of the show, I went back to the firehouse and I saw the companies were out and I saw where they were and I could see the smoke. So I changed into my fire clothing and I, and I went over to uh, uh, on, went over to Worcester Street and, and the place was really go, going strong. The fire had been out uh, on for a long time. The fire was on when I was at the show at the Music Box Theater. I, when, I, when I got there, I was told to mount what I call the fire cannon. That's the, that's the big, big nozzle on top of the engine company. I call it, a, I call it a, a, the water cannon. Right. And my job was to, to, to shoot that water uh, up to the first and second and third floor. It was a building that was... Uh, five stories high and it was loaded with twine and bales and rolls of paper so uh -huh. that when water hit the fire it was absorbed by these materials making it the, the, making it very very heavy and it was there was also machinery on these floors and and i worked earlier in the day when i went to work i worked with uh, fireman blumenthal he was a fourth was a fourth grade fireman he was good friends i worked every tour with him and there was a fellow his name was schmidt now unfortunately Schmidt was detailed to Lauder 20 from another company and he was he died. Blumenthal just returned from his honeymoon and he died along with four patrolmen. Now patrolmen were people that were 
were hired by insurance companies to bring tarpaulins and cover the material so that there wouldn't be much damage. They would always operate below the fire floor and they wore red hats. When I first got on a job, I used to see these guys with red hats. And I used to see the regular guys. I said, what the hell are those guys with red hats? What is it, commissioner or something? <laughs> no, they're the fire. So, and, uh, so, um, so, so, so I worked the night, the whole night uh, there. And word got around that they were missing firefighters and fire patrolmen. And uh, it was goddamn cold. Excuse my my expression. <laughs> it's okay. Very, very, very cold. Everything was freezing. The commissioner, uh, 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 he he uh, called for a thawing apparatus, which was subsequently uh, sent to Mercer Street to battle the blaze. The entire building was collapsed right to the floor level. It was just an incredible sight. And for a young guy who was fourth grade fireman, that was very shocking. So uh, that was the biggest fire. The strangest fire that I ever went to was on a passenger ship and the Hudson River. We were operating inside, and for some reason, boat, the boat started to list, and we were all ordered to get out. I really never saw the flames, but there was a lot of smoke, because if right. you ever, ever uh, went uh, to uh, these ships, you know there's big compartments, and there's other compartments, and compartments, and you get lost yeah. in that place. You get lost in that, in that situation. And so uh, that was the strangest place. One of the saddest things that I ever had, I went to Proby School with this fellow who became very good friends with him, Jack Crossway. And he lived in the Bronx, and he was one of the companies up there, the busy companies, and I was in 13 Engine. One day, I read the fire department newspaper and I saw he got killed. I didn't even know that. I saw he was killed. I read the story. I couldn't believe it. Jack Crossford, he was, he was, it was like an explosion. He was, went out the window and he was impaled by a fence. And poor Jack. Uh, was this at a fire? Is that a job? Yeah, that was yeah. a fire. Yeah. It was in a, a tenement. It was okay. a tenement worked in tenement areas, you know. Mm-hmm. Us in 13 Engine, we worked in the loft building. For right. those people who don't know what a loft building is, they're, they're factory buildings, they're storage buildings. There are, there are no residents in there at that time. Right. However, as time went by, the the loft buildings became empty. Companies move out, moved out, more fires occurred, and there were a lot of space now. And the artists mm-hmm. from 
around um, what's that area? Uh, anyway, all the artists saw an opportunity to have big space to live there, to have their studios there, and the rents would be not so absorbent. So at that fire, at that time, the fire department says you can't, you people can't do that. Well, they got pissed off, and they got together, and they summoned the. Uh, uh, they summoned um, the. Uh, oh, uh, uh, the It'll come to me. All right, take your time. And, and they summoned uh, the people who ran the government at that time. They wanted they wanted those places. So the yeah. fire department and town hall they made a pact. They said this: you gotta get get a sign. It's gotta be like eight feet long and three feet wide painted white with yet with black lettering the lettering should say AIR artists and residents so that when we come there after five o'clock when people went to work uh, went home from the factories and the loft areas we would know we went there at two or three in the morning that there right. were people in this building we have to make a, an extraordinary effort to get them out that happened and there were a lot of signs all over the place mm -hmm. finally town hall says you don't have to do that it's not necessary now okay so that ended the big signs and the walls all over the place and artists came in more and more and i don't have to tell you that turned out to to be what they call Soho, which is south of Houston Street. Some people say Houston, it ain't right. It's Houston. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, it was always troublesome, troubling with us. Because <laughs> because we were still dealing with with materials that were dangerous yeah and and even though they were allowed to live their people that made us all the, the more worrisome Right, they used oils, right? A lot of oils and stuff like that, and chemicals for their art, right? And and they, they added subdivisions that you wouldn't have known about, and that kind of stuff. And they, yes, and, and they had flammable liquids around, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, when Commissioner Cavanaugh, with there were six people dying in that fire, ordered inspections of every factory and every loft area in, in the whole city. So that's why inspections came about. We would go in and first of all, if there was a, if there was a, a, a door a lot, 
we would issue a, a summons. Right. And uh, this is our inspections. Exits, 30 floors, extinguishes, hails of water. That we gave them, we gave uh, companies uh, anywhere for, from the next day to two weeks, even three weeks to get it com complied with. Like right. even painted fire escapes. I remember sometimes we'd be on the fire escapes that were so old that you, 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 the whole company's going to fall down with the hose lines. You know, right. well, six guys on the fire escape, and how much does that water weigh? A lot of weight. And I was always afraid I got that thing was going to you know, collapse with us in it. In it. Yeah. Uh, Haven't heard from Bruce yet, bro. So when I had nine years on the job, I transferred to 287 engine in Queens in Corona. Okay. Why did I? I love I love new 20 truck, but there was an officer that was a, a rat, rat kind of guy. And uh -huh. I wanted to get rid of him <laughs> by way of me going to a, another company. So I was with this company. For, for one month on what did they do? Gambles all the time. In 25, 50 cents, you guys would go home without a paycheck yeah. and say, this is not for me. We did, in, in a firehouse, we had a pool table, a ping pong table, a basketball court, a, a handball court. They gambling. So I went back. <laughs> the 13 engine, I retransferred uh, okay. back to um, my company where I was very happy. I was out of at that time, I had about nine years on a job, you know. So I was not a job, Johnny, when I yeah. went to the you know. Yeah, I worked in that firehouse myself. I worked in 136 for a couple months. Yeah, and you was, yeah. I understand yeah. that you were in squad unit. I was in squad 18, yeah, not now, too let far. Me tell you, in 1957, when I got on a job, they created the squad units. Now, what was that supposed to be? Manpower. Right. So I'm thinking like this. Oh, these guys are going to help help us with the hose up the stairs. That's all <laughs> they do. They just help us. Bring me a tool. Come in with <laughs> But I understand that today, squad units are very uh, 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 they, uh, I wouldn't say they, they're like uh, uh, the uh, rescue units, but they're very well trained in all areas of, my, of, of using equipment. Mm -hmm. and, and they have a very good reputation, and I, I salute them for that. I got, so I got to get rid of that idea. They're, hey, come over here, help me with those. <laughs> That idea. You sound like and Mike Toll. <laughs> he was always so breaking the squad's job. Eventually, uh, it was a very, very cold morning. 
and I was going to work. And I slipped about four or five times going into the subway. So other people too. So I got to work and uh, and after a few minutes, we got a call, uh, an alarm. We had bells at that time. We didn't have, we didn't have nice people saying sweet things. <laughs> Please, 13 engine, would you like to go to a fire today? <laughs> and so, so while I was stretching a line from the pump onto the street where it was, it had been raining and it slippery, slick ice. And I went down and I smashed my knee onto, onto the street. Uh-huh. It hurt, but I was very lucky that when I went back to quarters, when we took up, that I had a good lieutenant. He says, Don, put it in the book. I was not gonna, I was not gonna put in the book, but yeah. my legs started to bother me day after day. And thank God I would put it in the book. I got hurt, blah, blah, blah. With that, I got, now here's, here's a nasty part about it. Mm-hmm. I was complaining so much about my my, and I was going sick and they didn't like that. They, fire department, I hate right. to say it, but I love the fire department. They didn't believe because they didn't have arthroscopies in those days. If you were sick and you had a bad bed, they didn't really believe it. Yeah. So what? So when talk? So one morning, I look out the window and, and I see a red car. It's a, a, chief, a chief's car. No, it's I see MD. That's a doctor. Doctor comes in, is examining my leg, and he says, "You know something? I don't see anything wrong with your leg." He says, "You know what?" You're going to work tomorrow. I says, I can't. He says, if you don't go to work tomorrow, I'm hooking you up. I'm hooking you up. That means I'm going on trial. Right. I called the Manhattan trustee and I said, Benny, Benny Messina. Benny, this guy wants to hook me up. He says, look, go to the hospital. Tell him you can't walk. It hurts. But give me 20 minutes. Wait by the telephone. So I waited in 20 minutes. He says, we made a deal. You're going to a psychiatrist tomorrow. <laughs> I love that. I saw that. <laughs> so I went to the psychiatrist. I answered questions like, you know, what does it mean when, uh, when no, uh, when, uh, when, Nothing grows. It'll come to me in a second. And and he make me count backwards from 100 up, skipping seven numbers. Okay, let's right. 100, 93, <laughs> whatever that was after <laughs> that. And other questions like that. People, people. Uh, shouldn't uh, when they people who d- d- do this shouldn't throw stones. Or, I think you might have heard that s- saying. Right. Of course. Again, I gotta. I'm I'm, I'm telling you because I'm I'm 89 and a lot of my 
my stuff has been pushed into the back of my mind and and i have a hard time sometimes remembering so uh i decided i'm gonna have the operation they found out that i had lots of ligaments and stuff and stuff torn and dr pick at that time was a wonderful doctor and he said to me after he operated he said you know kid he said you got a million dollar up he got a million dollar injury well what do you mean he says well it's not like a ceiling fell on you when you cripple like my cousin he wanted he worked he worked in the box ceiling fell on him he can't hardly walk today mm-hmm. and, and he could relate to that walk you could walk but you, you can't do these certain things and, and you're not you're disabled so to speak right i was glad because i was right to the fire department that i was telling the truth that was very important for me absolutely I, I three quarters but they put me in do 11 do means district office 11 on hooper street in yeah. Brooklyn. you know what my job was that's bedford stuyvesant i was to collect money for the oil burner permits <laughs> You know, my lieutenant said, by 12 o'clock, get out of there. Because it was a very tough neighborhood. Yeah. Get out by 12 o'clock. Do your work in the morning where they're still sleeping. <laughs> so, so I was in DO 11. And, and then I put, was put on what they call um, limited service. Limited service for the, the, those who are not familiar with the fire department. Limited service means that you're you have an injury, and you are go, going to be dismissed from the firehouse by virtue of the line of injury which you incur. So I was working in a limited office for for a while, but before that. I, they put me on light duty. Oh, I hated light duty. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> Down in Brooklyn, filing cards. Boring. Right. Got out of that one too. So uh, I got my trade quarters on February the 1st in. Uh, in February the 1st, it'll come to me. <laughs> and, and, and that, that was it. Uh, I was happy to get three quarters, obviously, but I knew I was very unhappy. I had to leave the firehouse. Yeah. And, and the men that I worked with is a wonderful camaraderie teams. I did enjoy fires, but I, but it was a dangerous situation also. You know, collapse was was around every corner. Mm-hmm. Did you respond to the 23rd Street collapse? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. But while we were working on the Worcester, 
mountains collapsed, a fourth alarm occurred on Avenue D on, on like 11th Street and Avenue D. So from firemen who were, who were working on the Worcester Street job, they, they took a bunch of them and they put them down where they yeah. a fourth alarm. And it was bitter cold, very bitter cold. And now, I'm trying to think of some other instances in my career that are worth mentioning. But unfortunately, I've been, that's a long time ago, mm -hmm. as, uh, 50 or more years ago, and you know, you and these guys around here, we're all gonna suffer loss in memory to mm -hmm. some extent with age, with age. But I'm gonna tell you this, well, five or 20, they're now located on Lafayette Street. We were on Mercer Street. I came here, see, when I, when New York was on the bum, okay, before Emperor Giuliani came along, it was filthy, dirty, hookers, you know, all that stuff. Mm. And I said to my wife, we got to move out of here. Well, where are we going to go to? Another place in New York? So I met a friend who visited me from Massachusetts. And I, we, I told her, we want to get out of here. Where can we go? She says, you know what? I, I, I know somebody in real estate in Rockwood, Massachusetts. So uh, I, I, I went up there and I bought the place in 10 seconds. <laughs> Ordered in 10 seconds. It's a wonderful town. It's an artist colony. And I, and I wish every brother here to come and visit us because they'll take your fishing poles. I <laughs> <laughs> love the trip. It's a, it's a, it's six hours to get here. We got, we got here um, Friday. Okay. We left okay. at seven o'clock in the morning. My friend Jimmy, you'll meet him in a little while. And so we, we have been doing this trip to 20 for the last at least six years. So now I get to know the guys, the names, the faces. Yeah. And there's a lot of names here because you got the rack squad, you got the rebreather, yeah. uh, a battalion and the division together, which we never had. We only had a battalion in our quarter. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of people here to try to familiarize the names. And so um, I've been coming here, as I said, it's a wonderful place. They, you see, these firemen here, they're young, they're young guys, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I tell them and they find out how, how old I am, there's a great respect for me. Don, how was it in 1957? Tell us about the fires. How many, how was it then? How was it that? And I would tell them, 
And with that comes a respect. Hey, this guy, he was there when the big flyers were. And we got we got to treat him right, you know. And they yeah. treat they treat me like a king. They treat me like a king. For instance, the lieutenant gave me his room for the night. Lieutenant McNamara. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. The brother, wonderful people. They give they give me their. I don't sleep with the bunks in a big bunk room with all the guys snoring. <laughs> my own room, I got my own toilet, my own shower. What yeah. I've, I've like a million bucks. <laughs> so I come here all the time. And, That's great. And uh, there's more to my story, but unfortunately, I can't recall. It's too dismal. Not dismal. It's it's. It, it, it's shrouded in my memory. That's all right. Well, we, so you, you've I, told us a lot. When I, when I, I'm going home with Jimmy. We got a six-hour ride. I'll say, "Oh, Jimmy, you know, I, I forgot to tell him about that fire. I forgot to tell him about that <laughs> one, and that one, and that one." Uh, and you, re, you'll, re, I'll remember later. But uh, I want. I guess. You know, I don't even know what a pod, a pod thing is. What you, what you have, I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, I want to tell you, you know what I want to tell you. I want to tell you, you can't beat the brothers, the camaraderie. You can't treat. You can't replace how they treat me. It may makes me feel like I'm grateful to be a fireman. It was a good job. Money was even in those days, you know, they make good money today. But in those days, they we didn't make great money. Yeah. They get overtime today, which they deserve. We we had to do overtime. We got zilch, nothing. Not a dime's worth. Mm-hmm. I was acting lieutenant. I never got acting lieutenant's pay for that for those fifteen hours. Zilch, nothing. You know what they would do? Take the afternoon off. Yeah, that's great. Right. What am I gonna? <laughs> what am I gonna do in the afternoon? Yeah, and uh, we had a lot of perks, like we could trade. We could trade. Uh, shifts with the guys mm-hmm. you work for me I'll work for you Jewish holiday come uh, the Jewish guys would work for us for Christmas and it was, it was like that you know yeah and I'll tell you eating in this firehouse is like eating in Paris <laughs> it's never been a bad meal here even breakfast you know what we had for breakfast in those days Coffee and a bun. <laughs> no, we got today here fried eggs with bacon, buns, anything. Guys are cooking something up for breakfast with ham and eggs. I, I couldn't believe it when I got here after 40 <laughs> years. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Oh, now, here's another thing. Okay, stories come to me as I come along. Okay. 
in the old days, they would take one man to do the shopping. It was not allowed, and nobody said anything. He come back, his arms were full of food, meats and bread and whatever, vegetables. And, and he'd come in and then we'd all cook, cook it up. Today, they could take the rig out. We go to Whole Foods with them. Yeah. You know, they take me with them because I was once a fireman and I have that privilege. Right. And my friend Jimmy, he is a, re, a, a volunteer fireman and they couldn't take him because it's, could something happen? He was not a fireman. So I, I had that privilege. And I would, these guys are going with the rig. <laughs> Six guys are going in the store. Yeah. He's going, yeah, who's going there? How do you deal with that? Okay. Radios. So well, I was we going to say, they all have radios now. The old kind of radio we had, like this. Hey, yo. Open <laughs> <laughs> that window. That's the story. That's the radio, I'll tell you. Uh, so, these things. Oh, the rigs. These rigs are twice as big and powerful as the rigs we had. Sure. When a 20 truck ran on a, on a run, they had the running boards on both sides, and you would stay on the running board with your hand on the ladder so you don't fall off. Right. And that's, it was raining, snowing. Was, that's how they... And then they now they come in with 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 the cabs with the now I'll tell you what I don't like about the cabs and what I do like about it. Well, it was initiated because people were throwing stones and rocks and bricks down from the roofs, and the guys were getting hurt. So you, you go into a, an engine like oh, I went to twenty truck. I went on a couple of runs with them, as I was supposed to. Like I said, I had them privilege. Mm -hmm. What happens, it's so heavy that the whole rig jumps, boom, boom, yeah. every pothole, boom. In the engine where I was on, we had a back step. And you put your arm around this middle hook. Right. And if you hit anything, your knees would act as cushions, see? Whereas the trucks now go like this, up and down. And it was a, 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 not a happy ride. <laughs> but I, what I'm glad I, I did, I probably, in six years, I probably did about three runs. And, and oh, story. Okay. Story. So there was there was a chief here called Cooney. He was in the Rack Squad. So I, I I come here and he's working. See, he introduces me. He introduces himself to me, and he says, "My name is Chief Cooney." Nice, Don Blast. I says, "Cooney." You know, 
we used to pl place softball because fire departments, firehouses had teams in softball and we played each other and on the East River, where the East River is. Right. So I said to Truman, you know, I used to play, play ball with a guy like Coney. He says, yeah, that was my father. Wow. <laughs> I was playing ball with his father when when I was young and when he was young. Yeah, yeah. He says, that was my father. You know what? He says, he's got 10 kids today. I says, oh, my God, he got playing some kind of ball. <laughs> so uh, that was nice. Yeah. The same night, he says to me, I got to gotta go to um, Williamsburg to pick up something. And she says, you want to take a ride? I says, yeah, sure. So I get to see Scott. And we're going there. And he's a rack squad. What happens is a fourth alarm in Brooklyn. So we get stuck. I can't, I can't go back here. I got to go. It was raining. Uh. Chief Cooney, it must have been about 35 rigs. He's going this way, that way. I'm going to lose him. And then if I lose him, how, what, uh, who am I, what am I going to do? Am I going to call? Hey, there's a chief over there. Hey, chief, I'm lost. <laughs> so I was running with him. I was running with him. I was getting wet and cold. Yeah. And I got to his command station and his driver took me back to his car. I put the heater on. I felt better. But I went to the fourth, fourth alarm when I was 88 years old. <laughs> the place was still roaring on the top floor. It was still going on. Yeah. We went, we got to, we got to the meal about nine o'clock at night. We, we ate, we ate dinner. Supper. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you get up on the deck gun and uh, help him out a little bit? <laughs> you know, um, I hurt my knees. Okay, yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't climb. I can't climb on those those things anymore. You know, I can't yeah. jump on this and I can't do that. I got to take it easy, my <clears throat> especially. I got a little arthritis. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're going to get it too. Yeah, I have it. Don't worry. Sarah, you're going to get it too. You're not going to get away with it. <laughs> Territory. And I'll, uh... All right. Well, I know Chow's on over there. I, I don't want to keep you, but uh, but we really appreciate your stories, Don. Uh, I think it's important for everybody to hear those, those old-time stories, and we're glad you're still here to tell them. Uh, well, I it's a pleasure to, to meet you, and it's a ple pleasure that your mother had your, your brother who became a captain here in 20 trucks. He's a wonderful man. Yeah, he's and all right. I got, great, I got big respect now for squad units. <laughs> Good. Not in the old days. <laughs> all right. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Take care. My pleasure. You too. Hey, guys. It's Frankie, and welcome back to Firehouse Feast. 
Today's recipe is called potato and egg frittata, and it comes from my Uncle Rob at Rescue 5. The ingredients are a dozen eggs scrambled, large onions sliced, three to four medium potatoes chopped, olive oil, half a cup of grated cheese, salt and pepper, and one fourth pounds of white American cheese. First, coat a large frying pan with olive oil on low heat. Add in sliced onions and cook for 10 minutes on low until they are soft. Add in diced potatoes and cover. Cook it for about 20 minutes, occasionally stirring. When the potatoes are soft and browned, add in scrambled eggs with grated cheese and salt and pepper mix. Cover and cook on low for 30 minutes. Once firm, carefully flip frittata in pan. Add slices of American cheese and cover for another 5 to 10 minutes. Transferred to a large dish and let it cool to room temperature. Enjoy! Thank you, Frankie, for another delicious recipe. If you have a recipe you'd like Frankie to cover, go to thefirefighters.us and submit it now. And thank you to Don for talking to us, for telling all those great stories, and for bringing us the history of the job. I think it's important. I think we need to keep sharing those stories and passing them along. And uh, I'm, I'm honored that you would come on and share it with me and our listeners. And thank you for standing up to the city, uh, you know, for standing up for yourself uh, with your injuries. You know, that no doubt paved the way for people like me to stand up for myself um, when we felt we were getting screwed over. Um, and I think that's something important for us to keep in mind with all this mandate nonsense is that, you know, as Don said, even 50 years ago, it didn't always seem like the job had the best interest of firefighters or, or a trust in, in firefighters, um, you know. And I, I think we should remember that, um, that, that that's something that's deep-rooted in our history. And it took people like Don to, to stand up and say, you know, this isn't right. You know, I, I, I want to work. I just can't. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people don't understand that concept that we want to work. There's nothing more I would like than to wake up in the morning and, and drive, drive to the firehouse and, and ride on the big red truck again. Um, so thank you, Don. Be well. And please keep sharing your stories. This week's senior man tip comes from another non-firefighter, although he was a war hero. Former President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Change is the law of life. And those who look only to the past or the present are certain to miss the future. Thanks for starting your weekend out with us. I hope we can all listen to our former president and and use what happened in the past to make a better future. I hope we can all sit down and actually have conversations with each other again. And I think we should do what Aaron Rodgers told us to do. R-E-L-A-X. We'll get through this, just as we have for the last 154 plus years. DFDNY will find a way and... We'll carry on just as we have through the over 1,100 plus line of duty deaths we've had uh, through the terrorist attacks, the plane crashes, the shipboard fires, the car accidents, everything that we've dealt with, the layoffs, 
the hiring freezes, the firehouse closings, all these things we've gotten past. So let's just keep our heads on right. Let's not lose focus. And as always, stay low, my brothers and sisters. Join the squad now at patreon.com slash the firefighters podcast. Subscribe at staylow.us, powered by Righteous Media. Be sure to leave us five stars. Powered by Righteous Media.